there is a sort of reliance on self and resilience that is built through hardship that I don't know if it can be built through anything else. And so in many ways, as I look in my past, some days I think, oh, I wish I would have had support, or if I had support, what could I have achieved differently in my life? And then at other times I look back and I say, wow, am I lucky? Like the amount of resilience and fortitude that I was able to develop because of my unique situation and my unique story is incredible. So what you're talking about is a very young woman who is scared to death and knows that it doesn't matter if I'm afraid, I have to go do this thing anyways, because there's no one else who's out here and gonna save me. Hey guys, this is Coach K, and you're listening to the Making Changes, Breaking Barriers podcast, where we talk about you. This is about you, your mind, and your path. So welcome back to another week of fun conversation. Today is a guest episode, which you guys all know I'm always very, very excited about. It's always so awesome to hear about these extraordinary people that we're bringing into the podcast and and hearing about their stories and what they're doing out in the world. So I'm very excited to introduce you to our guests today. But before we get to that real quick, I just wanted to give a reminder that if you are listening to the Making Changes, Breaking Barriers podcast every week or even every other week, or maybe you batch listen to it, I've heard some people are doing that as well. I would really appreciate that you go on to Apple Podcasts or or Spotify if you listen on there and leave a rating and review. That allows the podcast then to be pushed out to other listeners. It allows the podcast to grow. And honestly, it allows me to just keep doing this for myself and for all of you guys. So if you are a listener pretty consistently, I would really appreciate you doing that. All right. Well, let's get into today's episode. I first want to introduce our guest and give you a little bit of information about her, and then we will bring her in. Okay, so Mindy Ashling is a professionally trained and board certified life leadership and entrepreneur coach. Mindy is a certified master coach through the International Coaching Federation and also a licensed meditator. Through her innovative approach, Mindy assists clients to examine their limiting beliefs question their assumptions, and release the notion that they are anything less than perfect. As a result, individuals who work with Mindy cultivate the ability to stand firm in their beliefs, live authentically and decisively, and discover an experience of life that is filled with purpose and passion. Mindy is the founder of How to Be Human and Entrepreneured, the uh, two programs that have enabled her to share wisdom and knowledge with a broader audience in service of her mission to empower individuals to lead their most true and courageous lives. When she's not working, Mindy can be found playing outdoors, creating art, or with her nose deep in a book. So I first met Mindy here in Bend, Oregon, which is like the best place on earth if you haven't been Well, not too many. I don't want too many people to come, but you should check it out if you've never been. And I was actually reaching out to some other local coaches, just wanting to meet for coffee, get some face-to-face good conversation and connection in. Um, As you guys know, my full-time job is a remote job. So I do a lot of work behind a computer screen and in my own home. And so it was really just me wanting to, yeah, reach out to to locals and get some of that face-to-face connection in and see what other people in this town are, are doing in the coaching space. So 
we met sometime last winter and we just chatted away for I think like it was more than more than two hours and it was just such great conversation so I'm really excited to have Mindy here and for all of you my audience to get to hear more about Mindy's story so with that being said hi Mindy thank you for being here with us today hi thank you so much for having me yes of course have you been enjoying this like amazing spring weather that we've been I know it just kind of just started this week but it's been kind of amazing huh Oh my gosh, it has been so much joy has arisen from this great weather because winter has been really long this year. It was long. I know Cora and I have been like out on a walk almost every morning this week. And I think it was just yesterday she said, this weather just, I'm like immediately happier (laughs) with this weather. So um, have you been like out hiking or anything like that yet this week? Yep, doing walks every day, same as you guys. And just this morning, my husband and I were looking at all trails, trying to identify where we're going to go tomorrow and where there's still snow and it's not yet accessible. And it's those springtime hikes that are so much fun. Oh, we're heading out for a hike tomorrow too. So maybe maybe we'll we'll, we'll see you. But um, <laughs> yeah, we actually went up to Bachelor on Wednesday and, and skied since we had been gone for a few weeks on vacation we were like we want to get at least one more ski day in before it all starts melting but as we were driving up there and just looking at how much snow is still up there we're like we probably won't be hiking up here in the mountains until I don't even know like Ju- July I mean late July yeah. it'll be a while <laughs> yeah we still have some time for snow melt but I think yeah. we might head over to the eastern side, like the Ochako Mountains, because you have a little bit more access there and less snow. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, we need a, we definitely, I mean, so this actually marks the two-year point of when Cora and I moved here. And and um, so we have so much more exploring to do. And even the last couple summers, it feels like we weren't even able to get to very much because we actually had like so many weddings to go to. It felt like we were gone for so many weekends, but this summer we are here for the most part and just like super excited to explore more. There's so much to do. So, yeah. So let's get into it here. So I think an interesting thing about being a coach, and I believe this goes for all types of coaches, whether that's some sort of sports coach or a life coach even therapists, you know, basically people who are in the service of helping other people be like the best versions of themselves. I think the vast majority of these people at one point in their lives needed help, needed some sort of help. Like maybe uh, they were trying to achieve something great and needed support and help through that journey. Or maybe this person went through a really tough time or some sort of trauma and they needed help to, you know, move through that or, or move past it. And whether they ended up getting that help from an outside source, or maybe even they found a way to help themselves through it, they in some way came out on the other side. And so this isn't necessarily everyone, but from what I'm finding, I do think this is a lot of these people who are in this profession. So with that being said, I would love to hear more about your experience and even going back to your childhood experience, because from what I was reading, it sounds like that experience may have really started you down this journey of self-discovery. So if you would want to just kind of go into that um, to start, I think that would be awesome. Yeah. First, I just want to acknowledge what you said, because I think you're absolutely right. I think that humans are more pack creatures. We're more tribe 
you know, in our best. But we live in a society that's very individualistic. And so that's sort of mixed messages. And so if we've had a past that has required us to reach out to others, we've broken through that stigma. And we know that with others, we're more powerful. And with other support systems, we can go further than we can go by ourselves. So I think you're absolutely right. And then, of course, as you mentioned, there's sort of that inner work, that empathy building and understanding what it's like to go through a situation that helps when you take a role of helping someone who's going through that situation. So, um, yeah, you're right. With my story, I had sort of a bumpy childhood. I had a mom who had an undiagnosed mental illness. And I think the most challenging thing about that experience and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this because I think there's a lot of gaslighting out there, whether it happens in relationships or as a child, but this sense of there's somebody telling me the world is like this, but my inner knowing says it's like that. And there's this dissonance inside of me that I don't know what to do with. And the answer to that, right, is building self-trust and owning your experience of the world instead of allowing other people to tell you what's happening. But as a child, having that experience, it was a lot of work in my adult life to really cultivate that self-trust and find what my voice was and give myself permission to own it. So with that self-trust that you're talking about, I mean, what things did you feel like you had to work through? Like as, as an adult, you maybe had your a voice in your head saying one thing and, and you had to work through it to get to this other place. I mean, can you give an, is us an example of what that looks like? Yeah, I think there is several stages to that. And first, there's sort of this feeling that you're betraying a parent or you're betraying somebody else by disagreeing with them. The way I grew up, it was this idea that agreeing with people was the way to love them. And so that was the first belief system that I had to sort of dismantle and say, okay, I was taught this, but do I really believe this? Is that what love is to me? And I realized it's not. And when I witnessed people disagree in a loving way, I admired it. And then I learned, okay, so first I'm giving myself permission to disagree with my family which is huge. Which is so hard too, so hard. Oh, it's hard. so huge. And then after that, it's, okay, what do I wanna believe? And in this case, like I was telling you, this certain belief system is it's okay to disagree and that has no reflection on how much you love somebody. Mm -hmm. As much as even maybe that other person makes it seem like, hey, you're disagreeing with me, that must mean you don't love me, but having enough trust in our own beliefs to say, no, that's actually not true. I just disagree, but I still love you. Right. Yes. And so I was I was reading about I was reading online, you know, your bio and your a little bit about your story and so it sounded like you were pretty much on your own at a at a younger age than most people would experience. Was it 16 or 17 that you said you were like yes. in your apartment on your own? Yeah, so my mom couldn't take care of me probably when I was about 13 and I got passed around to relatives. I was lucky I didn't get thrown into the foster system, honestly, right? Because there was a lot of abandonment and I was home alone a lot. And then finally got on my own at 17, took my GED test, got into the early admin program at college, got a little studio apartment, and that sort of set me on my next chapter. Can you talk a little bit about that experience? I mean, I'm sure that you 
without having maybe the support system that some other people have in that instance and, and being more on your own, I'm sure you dealt with quite a few challenges, whether those were inner challenges or just figuring out the world on your own. Um, you know, what, what were some of those challenges that you faced? Yeah, this is interesting um, question for me because there is a sort of reliance on self and resilience that is built through hardship that I don't know if it can be built through anything else. And so in many ways, as I look in my past, some t days I think, oh, I wish I would have had support, or if I had support, what could I have achieved differently in my life? And then at other times I look back and I say, wow, am I lucky? Like the amount of resilience and fortitude that I was able to develop because of my unique situation and my unique story is incredible. So what you're talking about is a very young woman who is scared to death and knows that it doesn't matter if I'm afraid, I have to go do this thing anyways, because there's no one else who's out here and going to save me. If I want to make a different life, it's on me. And then so pulling from, yeah, that inner reservoir of resilience, right? It sounds like you almost didn't have time in that moment to realize, okay, wait, I'm on my own this is crazy, you know, maybe other people aren't experiencing. It was just more like, I'm on my own, I gotta figure this out. Right, and and there was negatives of that, right, going into survival mode, which I had to heal later, but there was also positives of that, which was learning to, learning to do things even when you're afraid. And the mindset that you described previously, I feel like is like the definition of, is, of, of grateful, because, you know, it'd be so easy for someone, and, and this is something I think a lot of people do. I've fallen into this trap myself at times to, to say, well, I went through this really unfortunate time or this really hard time. I was kind of thrown into this world at a young age with maybe out this, without the support system that other people have. And you can, you can easily go down that, that rabbit hole so, so far, and it can start to affect so many other parts of your life. But you know, and I don't know if this is the mindset you had originally or you've worked through it and now you have, but to be able to say, you know what, I'm actually grateful for that hard time because it taught me all of these things that I may, I wouldn't have learned otherwise. Like you said, you only can learn through hardship is so powerful, I feel like, and, and honestly life-changing. It can set you down a whole, whole other path. I'm sure you're very happy you're at that point where you can where you can have that mindset about it. I think I have that mindset about it, but I also think that healing is a never-ending process. I think as humans, we think, oh, good, I finally dealt with that. I'm done. Yay. And then a couple years later, it comes back around again, and it comes back around again as we grow and develop and change and experience new things and get triggered by new relationships. And so yes and no, right? Yes, I can see it. And also I forget it. And I have new realms of learning and healing. Well, and not to only talk about the hard times that you have, but that you've had. But like I said, originally, I do think a lot of times those hard times kind of make us who we are and, and get us into these professions where we then are very able to help other people because, hey, we've been through it and we, we have that experience and we have that empathy. But in your... Were, I, I'm not sure. Were you in when you're in your 20s when you had the relationship that ended up being an abusive relationship? Yeah. So, um, like we just mentioned, I was on my own really young, and I had previously experienced a lot of abandonment. 
And so I met a man who was super controlling and you know what? It felt like so much love, right? Because when you have somebody who has not paid attention to you, having somebody pay a lot of attention to you feels loving and it's a very innocent mistake, right? Mm -hmm. And so I got into this relationship and we were together for several years, got married. And I knew that I needed therapy from my childhood. So I went ahead and began engaging with that. And that work really helped me to realize that the situation that I was in wasn't serving me. But it's still hard to get out. It's still hard to make that decision. And then I got pregnant and I had my son. And I think there's a ton of people who can relate to this, that after you have a child, sometimes you have the ability to do hard things that you didn't have the ability to do before. And so after that, when my son was just a baby, I finally sort of you know, drew the line in the sand and said, okay, there's going to be something different for us. I'm so glad that you found therapy at that time as well. And that really kind of opened your eyes to the reality of the relationship that you're in. Because at that age, I don't think that that's something, you know, maybe more so a lot now than, you know, maybe even then. But that could have easily not been something that you turned to at, at that time. And like you said, it in a way, it felt very loving because that sort of control that that person had over you was just not something you had experienced and in a way it almost can feel like support right because it's mm -hmm. like oh this person cares what I'm doing <laughs> but obviously there's a big difference between support and control which I'm which you know a lot about yeah you're absolutely right so it it was someone who helped me learn how to be an investigator of my own life right mm -hmm. and really helped me pick apart you know, same kind of things I was talking about before. What is love? What? And honestly, at that point in my life, when I started going to therapy, I had no idea that we could even have boundaries around the way that people treated us and say, no, that's not allowed. Right. And so just even learning that was huge for me. Well, like I said, I'm, I'm really glad that you, you found that therapist and you found that therapy in that time. And they say that you know, not great things come in, come in threes sometimes. And so late, later on in your life, you, you had this experience of, of the car crash. Can you talk, can you tell my audience a little bit about that, about the car crash, about the state that you were in and, and then we can kind of go from there. Yeah. So right before my car accident was a great time in my life. I felt super healed. I was in a good relationship. I was already coaching. I had a thriving coaching business on the peninsula. And I just felt like I was a co-creator with the universe, right? I felt like I was manifesting the things that I wanted and felt super powerful. And then I get hit by an intoxicated driver and I'm in a hospital bed for three months. And so, of course, my physical body was really, you know, broken up, but so was my mental, emotional body. And so was my spiritual belief system, because all of a sudden I'm thinking, well, I didn't create this. I didn't manifest this into my life. Right. And I felt really victimized. And that was really challenging to navigate and decide, how am I going to integrate this thing that happened to me? to make a new belief system so that the world makes sense to me and I know how to operate in it again. And was that something, obviously, so you're kind of referring to the, 
mental, the spiritual journey that, that you went through with that crash, just because I'm curious, what was the physical harm that that crash did to you? You said you were, you had to get rushed to the ER and. Yeah. So I was trapped in my car and, um, they actually couldn't even use the jaw of jaws of life to get me out. They had to like soft the top of my car. And so I was stuck in my car for several hours and I was bleeding internally because the seatbelt had cut all of like my guts and everything, the impact of it. So I'm bleeding out. Um, I have a fracture in my spine. I have a problem with my knee. I've shattered my wrist, right? Just my whole body has been broken up. Really the biggest danger was the blood loss because if I was to lose any more blood, if they couldn't get me out fast enough, then I'd die. So they got me out, and this was on the peninsula. So they airlifted me to Seattle, to the trauma center there. I spent a couple of weeks there. And then actually my best friend from high school, who's a nurse, I am so grateful for her. She actually came to live with me because they'd signed me out of the hospital and we just got a hospital room for my home. And then she came and took care of me. And then my father came and my sister came and everybody took shifts for these three months. And um, after that, you know, I was still in recovery. I was in a wheelchair for a while and then walking with a cane for a while. So it took quite a bit of time. And I actually ended up having several surgeries throughout the next year. I kept having bleed outs because the first surgery, like my internal bleeding kept happening. And so that actually was a whole um, another journey because I would try to rehab and then I would get re-injured and have this internal bleeding. And so this belief system was built in my brain that I was fragile right? That I couldn't go out and do things that I couldn't trust my body. And so even that was another part of recovery is like rebuilding that trust in my body that it was fixed and it was whole and I could go out and do things. That's so interesting. You bring that up because that was going to be like my next question, because what I know about you and, and being here in Bend is that you're a very active person. You seem to be almost from what I see on social media, you seem to be out and about almost every day. And so I know even from some of the clients that I work with when even when you have to go through a surgery that's planned you know let alone a major accident that that leaves you pretty damaged it can put you in this whole other spiral of just because you're not active you're not able to move your body like you you want to that can be a very tough thing to go through um was there like a turning point where you did all of a sudden start feeling comfortable in your body? Like, do you, do you remember that moment? I honestly think that took years. So my final surgery a year later healed everything and I didn't have any internal bleeding after that. So there was like a year of surgeries. So then, you know, recovery really started. Mm -hmm. And even though I would go do things, I'd still feel very disconnected from my body. I, sometimes I would feel like I was hanging out like a foot above my body. <laughs> I know that sounds weird, but it just was really hard to come all the way into my body again. And I think it took exercise certainly helped. You know, I also did therapy and I did PTSD therapy and I did some energy work with folks because as I said before, I am a big believer in getting your support team and trying things until you find that thing that you need that's going to help you, you know, click that lock of the thing that you're dealing with. Yeah. And I know it sounds cheesy, but sometimes it literally is just one step at a time, right? Mm -hmm. And something that 
just to even relate it back to some of the clients that I work with, right? We talk about how progress isn't linear all the time. And, you know, through something like you went through, I'm sure you experienced that. You take a few steps forward and then all of a sudden something else starts to ache and something else starts to hurt. And, and you have to take these steps back to then move forward again. And sometimes it, these processes we have to go through, through these hard times feel like we're just never going to come out on the other side. And you mentioned before, you know, I'm not sure we're completely ever healed. We're always going through something, but I mean, just to even see where you're at now, it's, that it's pretty amazing to have an experience like that, that the, the car accident and um, to be where you're at now. So I, I'm just going to say I, it's very inspirational. All, all, oh, so. thank you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm very so, grateful that when I'm out there using my body and my body feels strong, that's a good experience. Talk about something to be grateful for. We talked about the weather when we first got on, but to have a healthy body and to be able to move in our body and to be able to go out on a hike and lift weights or whatever people's form of exercise in is, I mean, I'm grateful for it every morning. I'm not sure I totally recognize that every morning. I probably should, but um, I want this to last as long as I possibly can because it's just something that I think is so vital to even our, our mental health, you know, um, and, and how we go about the world. So, yeah, I absolutely agree. I just want to say like my gratitude for my body usually kicks in like 20 minutes into my exercise, right? (laughs) It's still hard to get, you know, on the treadmill or to start doing it. And then once the endorphins start going, I start feeling good. I'm like, oh, okay, good. Like 20 minutes in, there's all that rush of good feeling. (laughs) Oh, believe me, I get it. I mean, like I said, we were on vacation for a few weeks and I think this is a sign that I'm like getting older as well, but just not lifting weights for a couple weeks and then getting back to it this week, Cora and I did um, four workouts and this entire week we've been like struggling to get up off the couch and we're like Mm -hmm. limping around the house because we're just so sore and every day we're like, do we have to do this? So believe me, even though I'm like in this profession and I love working out, it's, I agree. You have to, you have to just kind of start. Cora actually told me one day, she was like, do not bring up any like controversial topics or even like ask me to do anything like five minutes before a workout, because all I'm trying to do is like, pump myself up to get into the workout and I'm, I'm not happy about it. So like, <laughs> totally. don't, don't do it. Well, let's get into the coaching part of things a little bit more. And some of this, I mean, this, the answer to this question might relate back to everything we just talked about, but, but I want you to answer like, why is life coaching what, what you're currently choosing to do with your life or part of, part of what you're doing with your life, I should say. Yeah. I think in its simplest form, I would say because it works, you know, after this, you know, huge long trail of sort of suffering that I went through in my life. And yeah, I had a lot of traumas, right? Some of us do, some of us have less, none of us get through unscathed, but you know, we can't control life. I found myself in this place where I just thought this can't be it, right? There's got to be something more. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to go back to my Christian church from my childhood. Okay, no, that's not it. Okay, I'm going to try these other religions. Okay, that's not it. Oh, I'm going to go see a psychic. I'm going to go live in India in an ashram. I'm going to just trying to see like, okay, what's the answer here to this? Like, how do I stop this suffering? How do I change the way I feel like I'm in the world? And then I got exposed to life coaching and I'm like, oh, this works. 
and I fell in love with it. Did you have a life coach yourself or was it more through the education of becoming a life coach that that you realized that? I had a life coach and I also did some courses that were sort of the same modality. I like to say that life coaching is sort of applying like a, the scientific method to life. It's like you make a hypothesis, you test the hypothesis, you see what the results are, whether that's about what you believe or the actions you take, right? It's a very logical way to interact with your life and engage with the world. And I think that's why it's so effective. I like how you just explain that because sometimes it's not that it's experimental but you do have a hypothesis and then you have to go and see if it works because the same thing isn't going to work for each person because everyone's experience in in the world and in their own personal life is very different um but i think having someone kind of by your side or that you're meeting with weekly and talking through these things with is so important through that journey because sometimes talking through those things in our own head or even talking through things with a spouse or significant other or a parent or whatever, even if you have a great relationship with that person is always going to be a little bit different. Like in some mm -hmm. way I do feel like those conversations may be, may be jaded or, or have so much more to them than you, than you even realize, but having someone a bit more neutral and obviously who knows what they're doing to help guide us through that experimentation I don't know if that's the right word, but feels like that a little bit sometimes, um, I think is, is so helpful. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I think you're right. We can't examine our heads from inside our heads, right? Like you, you need an outside person to help do that. And then having that person be unbiased, not only gives you, allows like that clear mirror for you to come up with your own answers, but I think all of us have little bits of ourself that we're not bringing to the table. And so when you're with a professional who's unbiased and holding that space for you, you can bring something into being that maybe has just been too scary to bring into being before or even mention with a loved one. And that's the, the, the beauty about the space. And I think the other really rich thing about life coaching is having someone who is dedicated to that fierce support who's going to be there and say, hey, you know what? You are doing the right thing. Yeah. And that person, you know, I'll say at least 99% of the time is, is going to be ready for that when that meeting comes. I think one interesting thing about relying on a friend or relying on a family member or your spouse to be that fierce support is sometimes they may be ready and sometimes they not, they may not because guess what? This isn't their job and they have their own life that they're trying to figure out and their own thoughts to figure out on a daily basis. So, you know, I mean, not to bring us too much into it, but I think Cora and I experienced that sometimes. Sometimes we'll both be in this awesome place, in this place where we want to have this conversation with each other. And it's great. Like we're, we're exactly what each other need in that moment. And then there's other times where one of us is ready or needs it. And the other just, just can't do it in that moment. And sometimes that can be really frustrating, but I think also remembering like, that's okay because that shouldn't necessarily be who we are for each other or it can't be who we are for each other all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you do your individual one-on-one -on -one life coaching and then you also have your DIY course. So can you talk about that course a little bit? Yeah. So as I mentioned before my accident, I had a thriving coaching business 
And at the time I saw clients one-on-one -on -one in my downtown office. I saw them via Skype because I was like way back in the olden days. <laughs> and then I led a lot of groups, both in my office space and also you know, I worked with the local hospital and the local mediation center, right? And ran groups in town. And then I wrote a grant and I worked with the police and the dispute resolution center to design a course based on developmental assets to improve communication between teen and their parents. So that was uh, every other week group of like 30 people. So a lot of exposure to group coaching and group work. Now at this point in my life, and I think post COVID, I've really sort of deepened into some of my like introverted self and I love being at home and I love working one-on-one -on -one. and I didn't necessarily want to pick up group work again in the same way that I had previously, but I wanted to sort of present people with the same curriculum and experience. Plus, I know for me, I love learning and I do a lot of learning on my own and usually I do all the learning that I can and then I go seek out help or an expert. Like I want to do the alone learning first. And so this, this way, when I've designed courses, so like the first um, one is, you know, how to be human. And the first chapter is the stories we tell ourselves and it's multiple choice and it's fill in the blank and it's worksheets and you can just work through it and really examine yourself. And then if you still have questions, you can come to me or you can come to another life coach, right? But it gives you this opportunity to kind of like, you know, get deep with the material and kind of see what it's all about. I love that title. You had mentioned that title when we first met a few months back, How to Be Human. And I think it just really embodies what you're trying to do with the course. And it just is hard to be human sometimes. And so having a course on how to actually do all of it and how to um, approach all those situations is really cool. So thank you for explaining a little bit more about that. And for any of the audience who is interested in it, I will link the um, website to check out more about that course in the episode bio. So I saw this in your in your bio on your website and also on, on Instagram and stuff like that. And it just really clicked with me. So I wanted to go into this more. But when you talk about how you help clients, so kind of digging more into the details of the life coaching piece of things, you say that you assist clients to examine their limiting beliefs, question their assumptions, and release the notion that they are anything less than perfect. And when I read that, I was like, I love it, right? I want that. But at the same time, I also thought that's really hard, right? That's yeah. really hard to do. It's so hard for us as humans to to even believe in ourselves, right? To to not always try and be something different than we actually are and, and to not give into the societal pressures of whatever it may be, whether it's social media or our parents or, or whatever it is. So I know this is a big question, but I am just really curious, like how do you start this process with the client when, when they come to you, you know, and this is clearly, you know, what they need help with. Yeah. So I'm going to kind of answer two questions. So when a, a person first comes to me, I'm assessing sort of where they are on the personal growth and development timeline. So I know where I'm popping in. So for example, if somebody's experiencing a lot of victim energy and they feel like a victim in their life, I'm not going to go way up the scale and say, oh, let's talk about your self-discovery because that's not the right time for it, right? I'm going to, I'm going to work on actually moving them to anger where they're like, hey, it's not okay that I'm treated like this. And then acceptance and clarity, okay, this is how what I really want, right? And then we're going to continue. 
If somebody's all the way up here and they've just discovered who they really are, then we're going to work on the next stage, which is habits and routines to support that authentic self and coming out. So, you know, it kind of depends on where you are on the scale, where we're going to start. And so when I give a free consultation, that's kind of what I'm assessing and we're talking about is where do you find yourself? And some people find themselves, you know, in different areas and different situations of their life. It's it's not all one. And then the piece you're talking about, let's start with the end part of that sort of anything less than perfect. So I think when most people come to me, it's this idea of, well, as soon as I achieve this goal or as soon as I arrive here, then everything's going to be fine. It's going to be cool, right? I'm finally going to figure it out. I mean, you, we all think this, oh, when I'm 30, this is going to be over, <laughs> right? Like this, this angst of being a human. And so through conversations and through our coaching, no matter what we're looking at, we're always going back to this question of sort of like, okay, well, is that true? Like, is that really how it works? And for a lot of people, when they realize like, okay, wait, that's not true. This is really about the journey, right? It's not about arriving someplace. Then there's grief. The inner two-year-old goes like, what the heck? I wanted to arrive, <laughs> right? So we go through the grief process, but then we can talk about the journey and we go, okay, well, what's this journey about? And like you said, you know what? Sometimes this journey is about comparing myself to others and the pain and experiencing the pain of that. And sometimes this journey is not being true to myself and suffering because I'm not true to myself and then becoming true to myself again. And some, right, it's failure, it's success, it's remembering, it's forgetting. And so as I keep leading sort of the questions back to that as I'm working with a client, I'm cultivating this, what I believe is just a really deep truth that we're here to be messy. We're here to, I love to say like, it's for the full ride, right? I didn't come here just to be perfect and experience all the happiness. That's not what being a human is about. It's about the full ride. And how do we embrace that full ride with grace so that, for example, if we, you know, self-abandon and we're in a situation, we go, oh, oh my God, there I am self-abandoning. Like, oh, that's silly that I'm doing that again. Like, better stop. Instead of like, I'm going to punish myself for years. I'm going to hate myself. I'm going to have shame, <laughs> right? Because that just makes it all worse. So it's really about this acceptance that you're perfect. It's perfect. It's okay. The whole time that you were just talking about that, I it kept bringing me back. I'm a big sports person, and right now the NBA playoffs are are happening and, and on TV every night. And there was a big upset that just happened in the Eastern Conference. The eight seed, which is the last seed that makes the playoffs, just beat the one seed. So it was the Miami Heat just beat the Milwaukee Bucks. And the superstar on the Milwaukee Bucks, Giannis, was being interviewed after this game where his team just lost and it was this big surprise. They shouldn't have lost. They were actually like the, the, the team expected to win it all, win the championship. And the interviewer basically asked him, do you believe that this season was anything but a failure? Mm -hmm. And it was just so interesting to see his even like body, body ex physical reaction to that question. He like, starts grabbing his head and he's like just so frustrated by this question and what he said next I just thought was so powerful and, and relates very much to what you were just talking about he said this is just one step in my journey to 
to success, right? And yes, he actually said there's no failure in sports, which I'm not sure I totally agree with that because I think there are failures, right? There's failures in sports. There's there's failures in life, right? We do fail, but all of that is just part of it. And that grace that you were talking about is so key because if we don't give ourselves that grace, I think what we forget is it's just going to push us backwards. Whereas giving ourselves the grace actually allows us to take the steps forward that we want to after a failure. And that's just so hard for us as humans to remember though. I deal with it with my clients in the fitness and nutrition space all the time where they start feeling like, well, I want to quit and I'm going to beat myself up about this. And I literally have to say, well, then where is that going to get you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, which sounds almost harsh, but like when you're choosing between two, two, two things, giving ourselves that great grace and just to keep going is always going to get us a little bit closer versus, versus the alternatives. So I just love how you put that and it gave me so many thoughts, but I appreciate it. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. There's this sort of erroneous belief system that says I can hate myself into being a better person, right? Or I can hate my body into being a body I love. And it's just not true. It just does not work. And so we need to sort of red flag that thought in our mind. And when we hear it, we need to say, no, you're, that's not true. I'm not doing that. And I almost liked how, how you said it the first time too, where with a little bit of a giggle, like if we can almost find a way to have a, a little bit of humor with those thoughts, not try and say, I'm never going to think this because that's not possible. We can't necessarily control that. But to say, hey, when that th- thought comes off up, let me just kind of laugh at it. Let me just giggle at it. Like, oh, there you are again. Like, I almost knew that this was going to happen, but that's okay, right? That's not actually how I'm going to approach the next part of my journey or, or whatever it is. So, yeah, I love this idea and spirituality of sort of being the, the watcher, right? So like sort of moving back into your head and being like, oh, there I am in my human form. Like, oh yeah, I'm cussing at the dishes again that I didn't do last night and they're still there in the morning, right? And yeah, you're being humorous about it because as humans, we're kind of humorous creatures, right? We're kind of silly. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. I One of my first, or actually it was my very first guest interview. I interviewed Britt Frank and, and she's a um, therapist herself. And she was talking about how sometimes in those moments, she may not like, you know, laugh it off, but she'll ask herself, how old am I acting in those moments, right? If I was like watching myself like a TV show, like what age would that have been? Would that have been me at like 13 years old? Was that me throwing a temper tantrum at five? Was that me in my early twenties? And that seemed to really bring her back to the present moment and be like, okay, well then if that was me then, then how would I handle that or, you know, whatnot go from there? But I thought that was another good way to kind of step back and, and watch and see what was actually happening in that scenario. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. And I think that it is important to let all those parts of us have a voice, but we don't want to create from those parts, right? So if my inner two-year-old's having a tantrum, it's like, okay, I can put the timer on for 10 minutes and be like, and then I'm going to go out and create what I actually want to create, right? Because that two-year-old doesn't know how to create the result that I want. (laughs) Exactly. That's exactly right. So the last big topic I wanted to get into today, and I had no idea that this was actually chapter one in your How to Be Human course when I decided that I, you know, this was something I wanted to chat with you today, but you mentioned this when we first met, 
And honestly, I've thought about it a few times since then. And so I, I wanted to dive more into it today. But you mentioned that something you love to talk about and even discuss with clients is how sometimes the stories we tell ourselves can majorly differ from the actual data in front of us and around us. Like I may be saying to myself, I've worked so hard and yet I've gotten nowhere when in, and that's the story I'm telling myself where in reality, the, the actual data shows me that I've made major progress over the last five years in, in tons of parts in, of my life. Right? So I'm curious, how do you find clients or, or people's stories tend to defer from the data w when you're working with them? Yeah, so I would say as a general generality that most people operate from their stories so much that they don't even know it's their stories. They think it's the truth. So, you know, what we're talking about here is we're awareness or consciousness or whatever you want to talk about it. You experience data, right? Something happens to you and then it goes through your filter. And on your filter is all the beliefs from your childhood, what your family taught you, what society taught you, what your friends on the playground taught you, what your friends now taught you, any traumas you've been through, right? This is sort of what has been imprinted on you. And then so that experience goes through that filter and then you make your story. And then from that story, certain feelings arise, depending on that story and the feelings, you'll take action. And then those actions create your life. And that's basically like how we're creating life all the time, right? Mm -hmm. So I'll give you an example of this. Let's say that your partner, like it, a lot of people, <laughs> so let's say, I'll say it this way. Let's say I say, see my husband and he's making this really deep friendship with another woman, right? And she's texting him and I see him looking at his phone and he's laughing and they go out for drinks a few times. Okay, so what do I think about this, right? I could have a belief system that is really religious and says, hey, you know what? When I'm in a relationship with somebody, they're not supposed to share with anybody else and that's cheating. That's emotional cheating, right? Mm -hmm. That's gonna produce some pretty ugly feelings and probably some pretty mean actions in my life. Okay, or I could maybe on my filter have someone who has cheated on me before. And so I'm scared. My story is these are signs that someone might be about to abandon me. And then maybe I don't say anything, but maybe I start kind of spying on them and like looking at their phone and acting kind of timid and weird and closed off to them because I'm trying to protect myself. That could be true. Or I could have a story that says, Men and women should be friends and we should all have a lot of close relationships. And I could see him interacting with this woman and laughing at her text and go, oh, I'm so glad my husband's made a good friend. And then I'm going to have these feelings of peace and joy, right? Now, most people would go right into their story. This is what's happening. And not even really consider why do they think that's what's happening. Or check out reality with the person and say, hey, I'm telling myself this story about you. Is this true? Right. And I'm sure you as a trainer, you know, a good one is sort of like an internal dialogue. You can take a woman, let's say she's five, three and 135 pounds. Somebody on their filter says, I'm skinny. I'm looking good and I'm going out there with confidence. Mm -hmm. Another person, the exact same weight and dimensions is thinking I'm overweight. I'm fat. I can't wear that dress. Right. Yep. It's based yeah. on what's on your filter. And so the data, so that's, so I get the story part. I think I understand this, but I, I, but 
the data part for your first example, what would you suggest a client does to try and gather the actual data to then decide, okay, that's how I'm then going to think about this or take any action based on this situation, based on the data versus the story. So first we kind of like nail down to what the actual data is. Cause most of the time when people have feelings, they're saying things like he's on the phone all the time, right? Or something you're like, okay, what is all the time to you? Well, it was three times in seven days, right? We try to get like, what's the actual, like how exact can we get with what is happening? That's the data. And then we have a couple choices. Like I said, you can either check out reality, which is a conversation, a vulnerable, courageous conversation where you go to a person and you say, hey, my brain is telling me that this is happening for you, that you're falling in love with someone else and I'm terrified. Is that true right now? And if it is or it isn't, you have the information you need to make the next step, right? You've opened up a vulnerable conversation. Mm -hmm. Or your choice is to try on a different belief system. I believe belief systems are like pants, right? You try them on, you wear them for a week or two, you see how they feel. So with some clients, I'll say something like, okay, well, just pretend that your husband is totally in love with you and this has nothing to do. How would you act differently? Oh, well, I'd probably start approaching him for sex again and I'd probably make him dinner and I probably wouldn't, right? Okay, you do all those things this week and then see what happens. And then they come back and like I said, this is the hypothesis. We're going to test it out. We test it in your life. You come back and you see the results. And then we make another one and we keep moving forward. Thank you. I I, I appreciate that explanation. It, it makes a whole lot more sense to me now. And I think the conversation piece, the vulnerable conversation can be so powerful. Yet it's another thing that I, the first thing that comes to my mind is those conversations are so hard. But um, Cora and I actually learned that phrase like, hey, this is the story I'm telling myself when we heard um, Brene Brown say it in a podcast a, a few years back. And so we use that occasionally in our relationship. And I will say it's it's almost like a good trigger into the type of conversation we're about to have, you know, first of all. And um, also it's a great way for the person who's bringing it up to not be like, hey, you're doing this, this, and this. It's more like, hey, I'm feeling this way about what's going on. It's a a great way for the other person not to feel attacked in the situation as well. Yeah, it's a good communication technique. One time when I was working with a coach, we were looking at this and she recommended that I just check out reality about everything, like as many thoughts as I could. And I did. And what I learned was that my brain is wrong like 99% of the time, right? Like it's just not a very reliable source. And so believing my thoughts without bringing sort of, I don't know if you want to call it like my innate self or my consciousness or my intuition, right? But I'm not my thoughts. You're not your thoughts. There's something more happening here. And without bringing that presence to the thought process and saying, yes, no, you're believable, you're not believable, just using your mind, it's just a really unreliable tool to, to guide your life. And you brought this up with with my profession as well and, and how we how people feel in their body and this can go as far as body dysmorphia but this is something you know I've I've dealt with myself you know I actually haven't talked about this much in this podcast before but um, when I was a sophomore in high school I actually weighed the most in most I have you know even in my adult life I weighed like 25 more pounds than I do now and so sometimes even 
how I feel now in my body. Now I always think there's a, there's a balance between like wanting to grow and, and be our best self and all that sort of stuff too. But, um, I have to remind myself, you know, like what if I had 25 more pounds on me, right? Like in a way I want to be grateful for the body that I have now and what it allows me to do. But it's, um, yeah, it's just, it's hard sometimes, but stepping back and, and realizing the stories that we're telling ourselves is, can be very powerful. So. Yeah, I saw a funny meme once that said something like, I wish I was as fat as I was the first time I thought I was fat, right? Like that <laughs> idea that, yeah, that's just your brain thinking those thoughts. And so, oh my God. Right, have some perspective. That is so real. Yeah, <laughs> right? that is so real. Wow. Well, I think we're going to end the deep conversation on that because that was a good, great laugh. And that, that, wow, that is so real. I, I, I should find that meme and just have it on a, <laughs> have it on hand for like a client at some point (laughs) but um but we end every sorry I'm totally transitioning here but we end every episode or I end every episode with a rapid fire round when I have a guest on and basically this is five questions that are supposed to go kind of quick the goal is that you're answering each question in one word to one sentence obviously if it's more than that that's okay but that's the goal and so yeah I have the five questions ready for you are are you ready for it I am ready okay awesome let's do it so question number one is what is one thing you're looking forward to over the next few months hiking being outdoors Love it. That's my answer too. <laughs> Number two, what is one thing you love about being a coach? The intimacy and vulnerability of it. Uh, when someone's vulnerable, all their beauty shows and getting to witness that is really cool. I agree. I agree. I, that's something I'm really grateful for in my position as well. I know we're coaching kind of a little bit in a different way right now, but just getting to be a part of someone else's journey. And even if we're helping them just a a little amount, it, um, it's hard not to love that. So Mm -hmm. number three, what is one emotion you have a hard time feeling? I still have a challenge with anger and I actually have a son and as a man, he experiences a lot more anger. And so I always have to say like, okay, you feel that weird energy. That's just me and my issue. Like, don't take it personally. (laughs) I'm working on learning how to be okay with this. Yeah. Well, good for you for being able to, you know, know that and and recognize that. I'm sure that came with a lot of years and a lot of work, but um, anger is a hard one. That is for sure. Number four, what is your favorite season of the year? I love fall. And we didn't even get one this year, not to bring it down, but did you feel that? I felt like we didn't even get a fall this year. It was weird. Okay, number five, what's the best advice you have ever received? Hmm, I think really just it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Because it really is. It's okay. I I feel like it should be how to be human, colon, it's okay. Yeah, totally. (laughs) It's okay. That's totally it. Absolutely. Well, Mindy, I really appreciate you taking the time. It's like beautiful weather outside. So to not be outside and to be inside and record this podcast with me, um, this has been an awesome conversation, just like, you know, the first one that we had as well. And I hope that I know we've already talked about maybe collaborating in other ways. So I look forward to any of those opportunities coming up as well. Yeah, thank you so much. I love talking with you. Course. So to any of my audience, if you want to check out Mindy more and see what she has going on and what she's offering, she's pretty much on all the social media pages. So I will link those in my 
episode description. And same thing if you're interested in that DIY course, How to Be Human, that Mindy offers, I will link that in the episode description as well. So with that being said, I will leave you with this like I always do. Changing your path will not be easy. It will be challenging. We talked about that a lot today, how it's not going to be easy. It will be hard. I'll say that over and over again, but it will be worth it. So I ask that you do a self-check today. Are you on your path up your mountain? And if not, what path are you on? 